This is the Adventure Sports Podcast, brought to you by 180TAC. Get out there and have some fun. Episode number 252, Trekking in Nepal with Andrew Wood. Hi friends, so glad that you joined us today for another episode of the Adventure Sports Podcast. We're glad that you're here, and I know that this is going to be a great one. Andrew Wood is joining us to talk about trekking in Nepal. But before we go there, I wanted to remind you about the Adventure Sports Podcast membership site. By becoming a member of the Adventure Sports Podcast community, you help to support the show, and we say thank you by offering you tons of wonderful discounts from vendors who have been so gracious as to offer discounts through our membership site. So you can save lots of money, far more than the cost of the membership. If you go to members.adventuresportspodcast.com, then you can see the discounts there. Keep in mind that we are working to add new vendors every day, so we're going to keep it fresh, so visit often. Also, if you decide to become an annual member right now for a limited time, We are giving everyone who subscribes as an annual member a free 180 stove to say thank you in addition to everything else. So I wanted to feature another one of our vendors quickly today, and that is Jeff Galloway. You runners out there who uh, maybe you're the people that want to become better runners like me, or uh, maybe you're someone who's a well-established runner and you know Jeff Galloway. He's written books that offer lots of different methods for training and making the distance without getting injured and how to get the maximum benefit out of running. Really neat guy. He was on our show, oh man, months ago. You could go back and listen to that. But Jeff Galloway is offering 15% off on all of his books. You know, we have other vendors who are offering 10, 20% off of some very pricey items as well. So thanks in advance for supporting the show by becoming a member. Now, on with the show, Trekking in Nepal. Today, I have Andrew Wood with us, and Andrew is joining us via Skype from the UK. He grew up there in the UK, in Dover, and as a young man, found that he had a passion for mountaineering and mountain climbing, and that passion eventually took him to Nepal for several different treks And so we are going to visit with him today about trekking in Nepal, about adventure travel, and uh, even some upcoming trips that he has planned. So, Andrew, welcome to the program. Hello, Kurt. Thanks for having me. You bet. It's our pleasure. I am fascinated to hear all of your stories. You know, we've interviewed quite a few guests who have summited Everest, and it's all been about Everest. But what I'm excited about, Andrew, is to visit with you about Nepal itself, about trekking in Nepal and what that is really like, instead of just climbing the big mountain, right? Yeah, and that's so, correct, yes, yes. Yeah, I'm excited to hear your stories. But tell us, if you would, how you got started um, in in wanting to travel and to trek and to climb mountains. Well, it all started at an early age. I started to read books on adventure travel and uh, mountaineering expeditions. Uh, I used to read uh, Chris Bonington. Uh, British climbers' uh, books on the Himalayas, all his mountaineering adventures, and one or two other climbers uh, in the past. Uh, and also Ed- Edmund Hillary inspired me um, on his epic 1953 successful attempt on Everest with uh, Sherpa Tenzin. I, I very much um, wanted to eventually go to Nepal and ju- just to be be in the, in the Himalayas and see all these mountains. So how old were you when you uh, first decided that this was something for you? Uh, well, when I was a teenager, I started um, very much being inspired by um, reading all these books um, which the mountaineers have written. And um, it, it's just something that's rubbed off on me. And uh, um, I, I was fortunate a few years ago to um, be able to afford to go to the Himalayas back in 2006 was the first time. Um, to Nepal um, it was still a kingdom then uh, the, the king was still very much in power um, 
I was sort of, sort of thrown into the deep end because <laughs> as soon as I arrived in Kathmandu, um, there was riots in the streets. Um, obviously, with the Maoist um, activity, um, they wanted to um, overthrow the king, etc. There was beatings and deaths during the time I was there, and curfews during the night time. Wow! Uh, so, so we was um, we, we was uh, impounding in our hotel overnight. Uh, so it was the longest distance I've ever travelled in the world, and I, it was almost like going into a war zone. So, but anyway, we had one night um, impounded in, in a curfew in the hotel. And then, then the next day, it was a flight to the mountain airstrip of Lukla, which is um, world-renowned as, as being one of the um, most dangerous and scariest airports in the world. Um, everyone, anyone who does the um, Everest uh, base camp trek has to go to this air, fly into this airport. Uh, so we, we uh, headed off to Kathmandu Airport in the early hours of the morning uh, to join this flight with all our kit bags and. Uh, I think it took a few hours for the um, for the cloud to clear before they um, allowed the flight um, to go ahead uh, to fly out to this mountain airstrip. Um, so you just fly over um, green hillsides. Um, it's about um, half hour, forty five minute flight, and then suddenly you see all the white peaks suddenly appear, and you know you know you're near to the uh, the start of um, your adventure, basically. And uh, then the the plane takes a sharp dive, and you can see in the cockpit, and you can see the airport approach ahead, this mountain airstrip at Lukla, and you know the pilot only has one attempt, so that's, that's <laughs> oh, no. why it's so scary. And there has been accidents before and uh, since, unfortunately, people being killed. Um, there's been an incident where the planes uh, on the approach to the airport actually misjudged pilot misjudged the approach and unfortunately the plane crashed and uh, all the people were killed so so it is very scary and dangerous but the pilots are specially trained for to, for this uh, flying in and out of this airport um so uh, I, I wouldn't be put off that uh, it's pretty rare when you consider how many flights have been in and out of this airport wow. over the years um look airport was originally constructed um by um, Edmund Hillary um, for, for his um, projects he did in the Himalayas for the Himalayan Mountain Trust um, that he started. And uh, I believe he uh, he made the runway after getting the load of Sherpas and Porters drunk. He got them all in line to stamp down the ground. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, it's since been, been uh, made a proper airstrip with tarmac in recent years. And uh, yeah, this was on 2006, my first trek. Uh, so um, one night staying in, in lodge, then the next day it was the start of the trek up to a high uh, river valley, and uh, very much lush and green at this stage of the trek. It was with um, prayer flags en route, um, and uh, we had a lunch stop and an overnight uh, stay in a tea house. Uh, on the way up to towards Namchi Bazaar, then then the next day it was the the trek up to Namchi Bazaar, the main Sherpa town in the the Kumbu Everest region of Nepal, and uh, we uh, we started off um, quite early in the morning and um, got breakfast. I I just grabbed a takeaway breakfast, a couple of boiled eggs. I could see all the mountains. It was a lovely, clear, sunny day. I was out with my camera. Um, my group I, I was with um, couldn't find me. <laughs> I, I explained I'd, I was, I was um, kind of getting excited because I'd almost reached my goal and uh, I could see all these snow-capped mountains ahead, basically. And then um, we started out um, a few hours into the trek and we'd been warned about uh, altitude sickness and the dangers, etc., and we've been told um, to notify our group leader if we have any symptoms. Um, it was during the afternoon that um, we got uh, over 3,000 metres when I started to feel mild sort of headache. Um, so I, I just reported this, carried on. So uh, <laughs> but, uh, anyway, we, uh, we got up to the head of the valley, uh, crossed several of these um, hair-raising 
rope bridges across these uh, deep gorge valleys um, with uh, the river running through. And then uh, towards the end of the day, we, we got up to this um, start head, head of the valley and started to make a steep climb up to Nauchi Bazaar, the main Sherpa town. And uh, I'd, I'd previously um, read one of um, Ed Hillary's books um, about um, his climbs up to Everest, and even Ed Hillary was saying it was a steep hill climb up to Nauchi Bazaar. Uh, so I was fully fully aware that it was a very steep hill. Uh, so, I, you know, that was that was the toughest one of the toughest days on the trek uh, up climbing up to Namchi Bazaar. So, how high is Namchi Bazaar? You you started feeling a little altitude sickness at about three thousand yeah. meters, so ten thousand feet. What about Namchi? Yes, Namchi Bazaar lies at an altitude of. I'm just checking on my map here. Um, well, it's um, three thousand four hundred and fourteen meters. Okay, uh-huh. so you're well over eleven thousand feet at this point. That's up there. That's correct. Yes, um, that's that's the point when people start to feel the altitude um, and start start to get symptoms like um, headache and shortness of breath. Uh, so um, we got we got up to the top of Nauchi Bazaar late um, late afternoon, early evening sort of time. And we uh, got checked into a lodge. Um, Namchi Bazaar lies uh, on a sort of like horseshoe ridge at the top of uh, top of the valley. And then um, we had an overnight stay in, in the uh, tea lodge place. And uh, then the next day, I got up early in the morning. Uh, it's really clear, crystal clear blue skies. Uh, so I got out with my camera, taking pictures. Uh, we could see several peaks um, at this time and uh, really got excited because I knew I was near my goal. And um, later in the afternoon, we had a acclimatisation trek up to a uh, uh, hill above Namchi and we could see Everest for the first time. Mm. And it was quite something, actually, to actually that first glimpse of the peak that I read so much about. Uh, so, um, yeah, so we did a group picture. Um, there was about uh, about 14 or 15 of us, quite quite uh, quite a high number in the group. And um, there was a 70-year-old boy who was a bit bit of a chain smoker, but he, <laughs> he was he was lingering behind everyone else. Um, but uh, so was I at times. But um, uh, everyone, you know, you get people in the group who like to race ahead. I tend to linger towards the back because I was taking pictures as well as doing me walking at the time. So, uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, so we um, got up to Namchi and then the next day we got up to um, Kundi village, I believe. Um, that's where Ed Hillary opened a hospital. We visited the hospital there and visited uh, Kundi uh, Monastery um, where they've got uh, supposedly a, a Yeti sculpt. Um, in in the monastery. So really? I, did you get a chance to see it? Yeah, I I saw it. Yes, uh, um, I had to pay, pay a fee of five rupees to see this <laughs> uh, locked up supposedly yeti sculpt in a perspex glass in this uh, box. Uh, basically, it looked like um, a large um, sort of hairy coconut. <laughs> but uh, but uh, it, it's a strange looking object, but. Uh, I believe they've done some testing on hairs on it. Um, it could could be have the DNA of uh, Tibetan brown bear, supposedly. Mm, <laughs> but, okay. uh, it's, it's an odd thing. But, uh, yeah, anyway, um, the next day we went up, further up the valley and we could see the peak of Amadablam ahead, the, the famous um, sort of uh, fang-shaped mountain up the head of the valley. Uh, superb views and then uh, it was an overnight stay before we actually got up to Gokio Valley and uh, got up to Gokio Valley and and we had a spectacular um, evening sunset Um, uh, I was getting bored because there was low cloud and I I, I kept looking out to see whether the weather's going to clear and and then suddenly I could see all the cloud lifting. I got out with my camera. Everyone else followed me out the lodge, 
with their cameras. And, and then, as you often get in the Himalayas, you get this, um, just as the sun gets low, you get this alpine glow, and all the peaks turn this sort of uh, orangey-pink sort of glow colour. And uh, it was a time to get the camera out, and, and that, that, was, that was a high moment. Oh, that sounds magnificent. And to see the sun on that beautiful mountain as it sets like that, that must have really been something yes it was yes yeah that was one of the highlights and then and then the next day um, we headed further up the valley uh, to Machermo and it was an overnight uh, stay in, in another lodge and a climatization day and that's where I became ill with uh, symptoms of altitude sickness um, mm. in fact uh, there was memorials to people who got who, who died um because of the symptoms of altitude sickness. Um, and we got briefed by a doctor there uh, about um, the problems of altitude you can suffer, um, pulmonary edema, and um, obviously um, fluid on the lungs. Uh, so we got all briefed about that. Um, in fact, the next day we was um, heading out from Machermo up further up the valley, and the doctor rushed up the valley because there was someone who, who suffered from altitude sickness who had to be rushed down by helicopter. Wow. And we saw, saw this helicopter come down low over the valley. And we we was aware what was going on. Was the doctor rushed up the valley and uh, and evacuated this uh, person who suffered, was suffering from the altitude sickness. Uh, so the ne- next day we w- went up the valley up to Gokio. Uh, village um, it's very much a glacier moraine up there i believe it's the nagazumpa glacier the largest um, the longest glacier in nepal and um, obviously it's snow rocky conditions up there and, and these deep blue glacier lakes up there um, up at uh, gokio and we had one overnight stay in uh, a lodge there before the next day we had a climb up to Gokio Ri, a 5,483-metre peak. Um, so we headed up early in the morning before the sun got up because uh, the uh, conditions are more stable that time in the morning with the ice, etc. Uh, once the sun comes up, it melts all the ice and becomes less stable. So early morning, we headed up to the mountain and crystal clear blue skies. We can see the village we stayed up looked like really tiny little place once we got going and um and then we had our first glimpse of uh everest uh gokio re lies to the west of everest and you can see more of everest here than you can from base camp mm. uh, people who do the everest base camp trek um climb up to this um this peak um above everest base camp uh, usually another 5,000 metre peak. But this view from the west from Gokio Ri um, is even better, really. Uh, you've got the full shape of Everest, the giant pyramid of, of the peak. And um, when, I, when I was there on top of the mountain, you can see it, it looked like a giant black triangle. It's so high, obviously, sometimes the wind blows all the snow off it. And you've got the legendary uh, plume of snow uh, just a few meters that, that, that constantly blow off from the summit. Uh, so um, we got the view of Everest, crystal clear blue day, blue sky day. Bentgate Mountaineering, located in Golden, Colorado, has been outfitting backcountry travelers for the last 20 years. Winter is in full swing, and it's prime time to check out the latest in alpine touring, telemark, NTN, and split boarding gear. Bentgate carries the premier brands, including Black Crows, DPS, Dinafit, G3, Icelandic, K2, Rocky Mountain Underground, Rosignol, Solomon, Voli, Never Summer, and Jones. With more people in the backcountry than ever, it's crucial to be prepared. Bentgate has the latest in avalanche safety gear from beacons to airbags. Come in and they will set you up with a proper gear and point you in the right direction to educate yourself on snow safety. If you don't own the gear, Bentgate offers a full range of rental and demo equipment, including the latest skis, boots, split boards, beacons, shovels, and probes. 
Cruise. Bentgate also hosts free demo ski days at local resorts to give you a hands-on opportunity to ride the latest gear. Be sure to check bentgate.com for their full product selection as well as updates on all of their events. Founded and operated in Colorado, Catabatic Gear is driven by the premise that ultralight backpacking equipment should be made lighter through innovative design and advanced materials, not by simply stripping components. With intuitive features and the best, most advanced materials, Catabatic Gear's sleeping bags, backpacks, and accessories strike the perfect balance between ultralight weights and ultimate comfort that will change the way you think about backpacking. If you're considering lightening the load on your next backpacking trip, check out some of their award-winning gear at catabaticgear.com. That's K-A-T-A-B-A-T-I-C gear.com. So what did that feel like? To see Everest from that perspective for the first time, I mean, I, I can't imagine. Yes, oh, oh it was absolutely out of this world. Um, in fact, the old boy who was a chain smoker, lagging behind every, everyone, he actually made it to the peak, and he actually stood there and cried. It mm. was his lifelong ambition to go and see Everest. He had fulfilled his dream, and he was trekking there with his son. And we could also see... Um, also, I believe, um, I can't remember, but another 8,000-metre 8, 8, peak near Ever- to the west of Everest is called um, uh, Cho Oyo. It's, um, it's one of them mountains people climb before they climb Everest to get the 8,000-metre experience of climbing one of them high peaks. Uh, so that, that was the the epic first um, trek um, in the Himalayas back in 2006. And we, we headed back down the valley. We stayed overnight at Tang Boje, uh, the place that's got the monastery um, that people visit before they climb Everest. And then we stayed overnight. And um, there was traumatic cloud brewing up um, across the valley. And... That that was that afternoon. I got my last glimpse of Everest through all this cloud. I could, it's the last peak and only peak I could see through the cloud. The Great Pyramid of Everest head up the valley, and I knew this cloud looked really threatening. And uh, of course, overnight we had uh, a lot of uh, snowfall, and the next day we had about um, two foot of snow. Oh. And of course, of course, we still had to walk down the valley. Uh, so they got the yaks out uh, to act as snowplow, act as uh, snowplows ahead of us to to break the trail down the, <laughs> That's up, a good idea. Down the valley. Of course, the, the yaks are these uh, cows that carry all the gear up for all these expeditions, etc. So um, the yaks can always find their way. They've always got a sense of direction. So uh, so they're great animals that carry all the gear, etc. So uh, so um, uh, we broke trail. Um, headed down the valley, uh, very steep path that goes down, so we had to be careful, keep on the inside, or otherwise we could have slipped and fallen down the valley with, with the snow conditions, uh, as you can imagine. So, uh, But but uh, once we got going, so we just kept watching where we were putting our feet, um, we eventually soon got back to Namchi Bazaar, and it was quite a surreal experience because... Um, on the way up, um, all, all the village has these tin roofs um, uh, that blue colour, and now everywhere was a white out now coming back down. Right. Uh, so, uh, so that that same day we got into Namchi in the afternoon, and uh, then then we went all the way down the valley from Namchi and stayed overnight at um, this place called Mojo, I believe, Monjo. Uh, and stayed overnight there, and then we got below the snow line. We could see the greenery again. So <laughs> um, we learnt that um, there was people stuck on the uh, Tibetan border in the snow conditions. Wow! And that so the air lifted out. Um, it was really bad high up. What time of the year got... was this in two thousand six? Oh, oh yes. Yeah, sorry, I didn't point out that it was um, April. It was April, so um, another surreal thing was um, heading down in the snow. A lot of the um, uh, rhododendron forests um, were all out in, in bloom, so rhododendrons were out in blue, bloom, 
um, all covered in snow. So oh, wow. <laughs> I took one or two pictures. It's quite uh, quite something to see. So but anyway, we um, we headed back down the valley, back to uh, Lukla, and um, uh, flight back to Nepal. They they were on strike, unfortunately, so we couldn't get our original flight out as planned. So we had an overnight stay. And um, the airline we we flew out in and out from Lukla was called Yeti Airlines. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of, sort of um, half expected to, to see a Wookiee at the controls, <laughs> like two <Right>. backers. <laughs> but uh, yeah, anyway, we got back to um, Kathmandu, uh, the capital of Nepal, and uh, things were a bit more settled. Reference the um, the the, uh, the riots, etc. In, in Kathmandu, and uh, we was able to go and see a bit more of the um, the sites of Kathmandu the next day. Uh, so um, went to Dubba Square. Um, Kathmandu is quite something itself. It's very much an old town. You've got all these old temples, and uh, it's it's quite quite something. Obviously, very busy place. Uh, you've got every wits about you because of the traffic, etc. All these bikes everywhere. Um, but um, uh, then um, I flew back to the United Kingdom and fl- flew out of Kathmandu into a storm, uh, thunderstorm, and the plane dropped about uh, fifty meters or so. Uh, it's thunderstorm, and, and then then we uh, flew on to um, Muscat in uh, one of the Arab states, and I believe a lot of flights were cancelled. We may have been the last flight out of Kathmandu that that uh, afternoon. But uh, anyway, I, I liked it so much, um, I wanted to go back. So um, I went back in 2007. Well, before we go to 2007, I'd like to ask you a couple of more questions about this first trip. Yes, yes. Um, so this had been a lifelong dream of yours to go and trek in a place like Nepal. So I guess the first question is, was it all that you hoped it would be? Oh yes, it was all I, I hoped to, it would be and more. Um, I got the opportunity to take some great uh, mountain pictures with my camera, uh, very much into landscape photography. Uh, so um, it, it urged me to go back and see see a bit more of Nepal in a different area. Well, if someone else wanted to do a similar trek, and what I love about what you're telling us is you didn't go there to climb Everest, you went there to see Nepal and to see the mountains from the valleys. And, and I think that's really cool because a lot of people just think, oh, yeah, I'm not doing Everest. Forget that. But there's so much that they could do without trying to summit a peak. That's so correct. what would you recommend for people who have an interest in doing a similar trek? Yes, um, it, it's great just being amongst these massive mountains. It's, it's, um, it's quite epic. Uh, it's... It's uh, long, arduous days. Um, sometimes you're walking um, about eight mile a day. Um, you, you, ha- you have your off days. Uh, sometimes you feel ill. Um, obviously, it's a third world country. You're going to get ill sometime. Um, but um, I urge people, if they, they want to go and see some great mountain scenery, um, to go and do it, basically. So you went with a, a guided group is that correct that's correct yes i went with a british um uh trekking adventure company uh called exodus um i've i've used them again in um i went uh, when i went did the annapurna region um, in 2011 so would you recommend always going with a guided group like that or do you think that with some planning people could just go to nepal and and just trek on their own yes um um People can. I, I I met a girl high up at uh, altitude. She was on her own and got her own porters and sherpa. Um, you can go on your own, but um, I think it's much more safer if you're in a group. Um, plus, you got the camaraderie. <laughs> um, you know, you got um, you got people to talk to um, who are like-minded. You know, in into all this mount, all, all the trekking and mountaineering. Uh, so yes, I, I recommend going with a group. I believe that's what's recommended anyway. Sure. Well, it sounds like a magnificent experience. Um, The last question about this first trip is, 
did you feel like it changed you in some way when you got back to the UK and you reflected on the trip? Um, what were your impressions then? Yeah, so um, you know, I, I, it's the most adventurous things thing I'd ever ever done, and um, it yeah, it did change me. It, it you know, I, I I realized that what a great world it is. You know, things to go and see and do, and uh, so yes, it did. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds like it, you got hooked on it because you went back just the next year in two thousand seven. That's correct. Yes, I I booked up this um, mountaineering expedition. Um, so I've read about um, mountaineering expeditions. These climbers have written in books. Um, so I wanted to do something a bit more epic. Um, I've had the experience of going doing trekking up at high altitude. Uh, so I booked in with this other company to go and climb Mira Peak, uh, which is um, the highest trekking peak in Nepal. Um, it's over six thousand meters, <laughs> so uh, it was um, very much uh, a case of um, you know something I w- really wanted to do. Um, I don't want to climb Everest, so I-, I just wanted the experience of climbing one of these six thousand meter peaks. So six thousand um, meters—that's over nineteen thousand feet. So that's that's really up there. That's correct. Yes. Wow. Um, yes. Um, so, it, it, again, it was another flight out of Kathmandu to the mountain airstrip of Lukla. And then um, it was a case of, instead of going up to the valley like, to, like climbers and trekkers do to go to Everest Base Camp, we headed down the valley um, initially before heading back up again. And on the first day, I I got an illness because um, it's a third world country you'll go get ill whatever you know whatever you do i think what 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 happened with me i i ate an apple i ate, including the skin and they tell you not to eat eat the skin of any fruit um best to peel the fruit and unfortunately i i had a stomach upset and i was sick um this was the first day sec first to second day of the trek ouch uh, so um, but uh, then I was on antibiotics rehydrate to be I was rehydrated as well so um, but then I'd, I'd eventually overcome that I got better as the days got on and um, we got we got higher up in the hillsides um, fantastic scenery um, this was April the rhododendron forests um, were coming out in bloom and so so um, it was quite interesting interesting scenery and I, I distinctly remember one afternoon getting high up. We were heading down a river valley, and the heavens opened a lot I've never seen before. Really torrential rain, horizontal rain. <laughs> so uh, uh, so we had that to contend with. Um, was it really then, cold rain? Uh, yes, it was, yes. And then we headed up the hillside. Um, we, we we invariably stayed in lodges when they were available, but on this occasion we... Um, were staying in tents, uh, so the, the tents were pitched and uh, we settled down for the night. And the next day we headed further up um, to, to eventually, we went up to a high mountain range, uh, which is about four, over 4,000 metres in height. So so even just getting to Mira Base Camp, we were acclimatising all the time, going up and down through all these hillsides, mountain ranges. And so we we went up to this four thousand meter mountain range, and it, it uh, suddenly came down with uh, a lot of snow, zero almost zero visibility. So, we're, but we we were getting near to our campsite for the night, and the, the uh, tents were pitched, and it was a whiteout conditions at the time. And then we next morning got up for breakfast, went went and got breakfast. Um, and it was very much a blue sky day and snow everywhere, all this white condition white white conditions everywhere. Perfect day for walking through. And then then we um, started to head down the valley and um I had my waterproof trousers on at the time. Um I was on the trail and then I started suddenly going down started going down the hillside on my backside basically. <laughs> 
in there for a little while, but uh, I know I know I was okay. I stopped myself eventually. <laughs> that was a bit frightening, but uh, but it didn't go too far. But any anyway, later in the day, um, I see one of the porters carrying all our gear. Had my kit bag on his back. Then suddenly I saw my kit bag and him in go hurtling down the hillside. Oh, um, no. Longer than he was okay, uh, just um, in fact, he was laughing, <laughs> but um, uh, but uh, yeah, he went down the hillside, he managed to stop, um, hit some trees, but <laughs> all, my, all my kit bag was okay, and he, he was okay. But uh, but uh, they're, they're, they're great, these porters, they, they they do tremendous work for um, people on these tracks, they carry all the heavy gear for us, etc., and all the uh, the cooking gear, etc., and cook for us on these um, at these campsites overnight, etc. So, yeah, so um, we headed down the valley and hit hit uh, walked up the Hinklu Valley uh, on the way up to the Mira base camp. Uh, it's very much rocky terrain with a, a, a sort of a cold river passing down the bottom. And then uh, I remember we stopped overnight um, got blessed by this monk in a monastery for a success on the mountain climb, uh, which is usually tradition for all these expeditions. And it was a half cave, half um, stone house, monastery type building. And uh, so we got blessed by the monk. And, uh, and then we, we headed up to another overnight stay. And unfortunately, um, uh, one of our, one, one of our members in the group, um, started to um this young girl she started to uh, feel the effects of um altitude sickness and and she was with her partner at the time so unfortunately um it didn't look good she had to go down so she went down with her partner just at a time when I was uh, sort of getting to know him really unfortunately mm. uh so as I previously mentioned I was suffering right at the beginning and then people started to suffer with effects of altitude but I was okay so I just plodded on um so we hit um the base camp at um, Mira La uh, which is at a height of um 5400 meters well that's uh, really up is, there that's that that is about the height of highest time on my first trek sort of the highest height I got to and um I, I remember um having a rest there and overnight rest uh, before we went up to the high camp on the mountain. And I remember doing a piece to camera on my video camera. I remember my, my speech being a bit slow and slurred. <laughs> so maybe I was uh, suffering from the effects of altitude at the time. Well, that's uh, nearly 18,000 feet. I mean, that is, that's correct. that is, that yeah. is really, really up there. You know, I, I have to throw out here in Colorado, a lot of people enjoy climbing 14 or 14,000 feet. We're talking about 4,000 feet higher than that. And yeah. it's it's very common that people trying to do a 14er can't do it because of the altitude sickness. That's right, yes. Um, when I was heading up to the, the uh, Mira base camp, um, it was very much blue sky day it was heading up. Um, and I could see all these white peaks. And uh, f- following my illness further down the valley, and I, I, and I, I was on top of the world, I just... Um, in fact, I split away from the group. I started heading up, but I still had a Sherpa with me watching me. And I was lagging behind in the group. And, and I was there busy taking pictures of all these uh, snow-capped peaks. And I just sat down in the rock and uh, I cried. I, uh, I'd overcome all this illness further down in the trek. And then I, I realised I could I could reach my goal. And, and I, was, I was getting near the top of the, you know, to the base camp. And uh, so um, it was, um, yeah, quite an emotional moment because uh, I, I knew I could make make this mountain. Uh, so, um, but anyway, got up to um, Mira Base Camp at Mira La, uh, which is another mountain pass. And um, that evening, it was uh, spectacular views across to Makalu, uh, the fifth highest mountain in the world. So I was busy taking pictures, and we got all these snow conditions. Uh, perfect, and I, I knew the next day was probably going to be the same. Fortunately, it was. Uh, so we started heading up to um, the high camp on Mira Peak, uh, which is at an altitude of uh, 
Well, I've got, I've got it in my notes. Uh, yeah, from memory, it's an altitude of 5,800 metres. Wow. Uh, so I, I took me time. Um, um, when, when you're just walking at that altitude, it feels as though you're running. Uh, so you're gasping for breath, even though you're just running. Um, but I so, so much desperate, uh, so, so desperately wanted to climb this mountain. Um, unfortunately, one member of our group, um, once she got going, she, she was very much struggling. So the, uh, group leader sent her back down to base camp and, uh, she didn't go any further, but uh, I kept going, carried my backpack with me and then got, got up to, um, uh, the high camp at 5,800 meters, um, sort of late afternoon and all the tents were pitched at the, uh, high camp and, uh, it was a spectacular evening, and I, I could see across to um, Makalu again, another high vantage point. Um, yeah, the, the fifth highest mountain, and um, so it was time to very much have a rest, have a brew, have something to eat, and then uh, we got briefed by our trek leader about uh, what we're going to do tomorrow for the summit attempt. Um, out of about six of us, it was just me and this younger chap um, that were um, fit enough to make this summit, summit attempt on Mira Peak. Uh, so I, I very much knew this was it. Uh, this is my epic moment. So uh, I got as much rest as I can, but it was I, I was struggling to sleep overnight due to excitement. Um, I think they call it summit fever. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Because, uh, yeah, but... Um, yeah, I was struggling to sleep and breathe overnight with it because it's so high up. Um, but anyway, it was a wake-up call at 2 o'clock for breakfast. Um, so we got breakfast and then uh, a group headed out up the mountain about an hour before us. Um, they were roped up in a group. Um, so, um, yeah, about 3 o'clock, me, me and the other chap um, stopped, headed out from the high camp, headed up to the, towards the summit and uh, I was very much struggling, <laughs> like as I previously said, heading up to the high camp. But uh, I just kept going. So much wanted to see all the mountain views. So um, uh, anyway, um, about an hour out heading up. It's still dark at the time. We were heading up under head torch at the time. Um, I was lagging behind. The younger chap was a bit more fitter than me, so he, he headed out with his high altitude chirper. I bumped with me, looking after me. So uh, uh, about an hour out, heading out, um, the, the group that headed up before us um, were heading back down. I thought it was a bit odd. Um, we could see all these head torches appearing in front of us, and then they later passed us, and they all looked a bit pissed off. But uh, anyway, I later found out what the issue was. Their group leader thought there was a thunderstorm coming on, coming along, because uh, across to India, you could we could see um, all this lightning in the distance. So he he didn't he thought it was um, a storm coming in. So he he turned his group round and they didn't make make the summit at all. Uh, so they headed back down to base camp. But uh, anyway. Um, it, I just kept plodding on. Uh, anyway, the sun started to come up. Uh, it's quite a magical moment. Uh, we could see uh, Kanchenjunga uh, across into India um, with, with, with the sunrise, and then uh, could see Everest for the first time from this vantage point. It's one of the best views of Everest uh, from a distance. I believe it's from a distance of. Uh, about 16 miles from the southwest of, side of Everest. And because we had a lot of snow on the way up, um, there was a lot of snow on Everest at the time. It was white because uh, I was previously saw Everest the previous year because uh, it had been high up. Um, the wind blows the snow away. But uh, this year, um, when we was on Mira Peak heading up to the summit, we can see this fantastic view of Everest covered in white, white, white snow and then we could see one or two um, 8,000 metre peaks. Um, but anyway, I got um, near the summit. I was very much struggling. It was about 9.30. I remember our expedition leader saying like 9.30 was a turnaround time. And my high altitude Sherpa who was with me 
pointed out, and he said it's uh, turnaround time. I could literally see the summit. It was um, it was only about two hundred meters mm. ahead, quite easy. Um, but um, I just slumped on the ground. I realised I could die at that altitude. So it was it was the crunch time. So it was um, a case of accepting that I'm not going to make the summit, even though I got so near wow. 200 metres short of the summit. Uh, so I, I might have been a bit emotional at the time, but um, I'd achieved what I wanted to achieve, photograph all the mountains. Ph- photography is my aim, and, and then I got, I'd achieved what I want, even though I didn't want make, quite make the summit. Um, anyway, if I'd made the summit, um, it would have got me got me down the mountain quite late in the day um but anyway i was struggling even though i was walking back down <laughs> but i meant eventually made it back down to uh base camp and uh i just slumped in my tent and uh i fell asleep for about an hour and then i got woken up by uh, one of the sherpas uh offering me a cup of tea so and then uh, I undone the tent, and it was like a blizzard condition, because um, um, obviously, it, if I hadn't turned around, then I would have been walking down in this blizzard. Wow! So, uh, but uh, as as what ha- what happens uh, in the Himalayas, um, people climb Everest and usually get to the summit early morning, head out overnight, and they get up to the summit early morning just as the sunrise usually usually. And then they get back down to their high camp before the clouds roll in about midday. And this is very much what happened um, on this occasion. Uh, so we, we, uh, we, we rested there for overnight uh, before heading back down the valley and back to Lukla. You know, um, we interviewed uh, Chris Warner, who I believe has over 150 expeditions. But the reason I bring this up, Andrew, is because... He's been turned around more than he's summited, and he's, uh, as the end result, I think, saved a lot of lives because he's led a lot of the expeditions, and he was the one telling everybody, nope, we're going back down. Yes, that's correct, yes. You know, the, the best mountain climbers in the world have been denied the summit more than anybody else. That's just the way that, it works. That's correct, yes. Um, I've, um, I've uh, attended talks um, that um, Alan Hinks... Um, British mountaineer who who's, who successfully um, completed uh, the fourteen eight thousand metre peaks in the Himalayas. I've been to on one of his talks, and he very much say, says that um, um, getting to the summit is not important; getting back down is more important. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So wise call, but what an experience! You don't have to summit to have the experience. No, no, you you can still. Uh, in fact, um, when it, my high point on Mirror Peak, um, the the high altitude Sherpa said to me, uh, he said to me, "You get the same view from the summit," and and that made me realise the summit summit's not important because I I got the same views as people would have got um, if they made the summit. Uh, so, but um, yeah, I'd. Uh, I'd, I'd reached my goal and, and achieved what I wanted to achieve and got all my fantastic photographs and memories, really. The 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to bulky and fragile gas-burning camp stoves. The 180 Flame utilizes fewer parts with minimal weight and maximized reliability. The locking tab and slot design means there are no hinges, welds, or rivets to fail you in the field. Cook your food and boil water quickly using only small amounts of natural fuels including twigs, grass, pine cones, and leaves. Weighing just 6.4 ounces, the 180 Flame is the ideal alternative to a backpacking stove. You can find your new Flame at 180tac.com or a retailer near you. 180 Flame. Think big, pack small. You know, we're already 45 minutes into the show, and we haven't even talked about your 2011 trip or the trip that you're planning. Um, Just give us a couple of bullet points about 2011, and then let's talk about what you have planned for later this year. 
Okay, yes. Uh, so I went back uh, in 2011, back in springtime, April again. Uh, I did the um, Annapurna Sanctuary, Annapurna Base Camp Trek, um, which it, it gets to a height of uh, 4,100 4, uh, metres. So it's relatively low to what I've achieved in the past. And um, it was very much... Uh, very much different scenery to what you see in, in the Everest region. Um, the Annapurna region, you walk through the foot, foothills, which are green and lush uh, with uh, white paddy fields, and there's maize growing um, in, in the fields, and then you eventually make your way up through um, uh, the Modi Kola Valley, this river, deep deep gorge that goes up um, to, to um, Annapurna Base Camp. And you got uh, the sacred mountain of uh, Machu Picchu, and we stayed overnight there. And uh, I got some great pictures of um, this uh, really epic peak there. And uh, so, so that was great. Um, I'm going back to Nepal later in October. I've never been in the autumn time before, but uh, people tell me that the autumn time you get clearer skies. And so, so um, you don't get so much cloud. Um, of course, it's um, post monsoon season. You might still get the odd day of bad weather. But I'm going to do the um, Manaslu Circuit Trail, which is um, more remote trek, uh, which goes across more or less to the border of Tibet to a high mountain pass of um, 5,100 meters, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. Wow, that sounds wonderful. So on the of the three treks, if somebody wanted to try one, which would you recommend? Right. Um, for people um, who are going to Nepal for the first time and don't want to get too high, I recommend uh, the Annapurna Sanctuary. Uh, it's a relatively short trek, but still you get quite high up and see some spectacular mountain scenery. Um, some of the treks are quite long, so um, the Annapurna Sanctuary is relatively short to, in comparison to the treks I've done in the past to get the initial experience uh, and then, then uh, maybe try going up higher. Mm, good advice. Well, it just sounds like such a wonderful thing to do. Um, would you recommend people give it a shot if they have an interest in it? Oh, yes, yes. Um, um, you've got to realise that Nepal is a third world country and sometimes you see some shocking things uh, around Kathmandu. Um, you see cattle being slaughtered, etc. But um, that, that's the way they do things in Nepal. It, it's not, not, obviously, you're not going to see things um, you, you, see, you expect with Western standards because it's a third world country. Right. You, you just got to keep washing your hands and, and making sure you don't get any bugs, basically. Um, you're going to get stomach upsets, so I recommend you take uh, travel antibiotics with you, uh, anyone thinking of doing this trek. and Just be careful what you eat. So what do you expect from this trip for this year that you think might be different from your previous treks? Yes, um, it's going to be very much um, sort of different scenery, um, I've got got um, got a um, a long potholed road to a roadhead, and then before the start of a trek from Kathmandu, which t- will take about eight hours, and then um, it's uh, very much walking through foothills, uh, lush green scenery, what I've seen on YouTube and on online, and then you see all these start to eventually see all these um, high white snow capped mountain peaks. And there's different uh, sort of things you see, like high waterfalls, which I haven't seen before. And um, Manaslu Peak, um, I regard it as one of the most beautiful peaks. Um, obviously never been there, only seen pictures of it online and pe- people's footage on YouTube. Um, it's the 8,000-metre eight, eight, uh, 8, pe- highest peak in the world. Wow. And, uh, and it's uh, very much different scenery to what I've seen before. Uh, um, obviously, obviously going high up and doing the circuit round Manaslu Mountain itself, and then seeing some of the high Annapurna peaks as well, which from a different angle I haven't seen, I haven't previously seen in the past on the other trek. So, about how much time does it take to do a trek like this? Yeah, so um, the uh, it it will be um, 
about uh, 17 days. It would take about 17 days. It'd be one of the longest treks I've done uh, since I've done the Mirror Peak expedition. Well, that sounds so delightful. And, you know, speaking of YouTube, you mentioned YouTube. You uh, kept mentioning that you took wonderful pictures while you were in all these different treks. Do you have a place where people can see your work? They can enjoy what you've seen. Yes, yeah, so I've got a, a YouTube channel. Uh, it's all one word, Kent Photo Pics, capital K, and photo, and pics, P-I-C-S. And I've got probably getting on for almost uh, 200, 200 videos on there. Wow. Uh, I've got a drone, and uh, I, I, um, I will be... Um, posting my uh, adventures later this year on there, a bit later in the year. I've got uh, footage I took on on the Annapurna Base Camp Trek um, in 2011 on there. So that's Kent Photo Picks, Kent with a K and Picks with a CS. That's it, yeah. Okay, and we'll put that in the show notes so that people can, uh, can if, if you're driving or something and you can't write that down, then just go to adventuresportspodcast.com. And uh, the URL will be in the show notes for you there, so you can enjoy Andrew's work from these magnificent treks. Well, Andrew, it sounds amazing, and our time went so incredibly fast. I think that we could talk about this for many more hours, and I would (laughs) love to hear every little detail, but I sure appreciate the time that you spent with us today sharing this. And you know what? It, It occurs to me is this is really cool that... You can go to Nepal on these various treks and see this amazing scenery and have high-altitude experiences without necessarily uh, taking the big risks of trying to summit one of the monster peaks. And I think that's a beautiful option for so many people. That's correct, yes. Um, I'm, I'm reasonably fit, fit um, but uh, you know, I'll, I'll do a bit of training, make sure I get some walking in before I go, obviously. Um, I don't like running at all, uh, but I'll just make sure I got um, I'm re- uh, as fit as I possibly can be before I head out on these treks. And so, how fit do you think someone needs to be for the treks that you're describing? Right, um, I, I recommend you, you, you walk um, a few extra miles a week in the run up, and um, I'll probably be heading to. Um, um, some of the mountain regions in the UK, maybe climb a peak before I go. And um, I previously um, made a summit attempt on Mont Blanc in the Alps. And uh, before I went, I went and climbed Snowdon, the highest peak in Wales, uh, before I went and done that a few years ago uh, to get get reasonably fit uh, prior to um, the trekking and expeditions. So it really just sounds like people need to spend a lot of time on their feet covering some distance, some elongated distance, some uh, several hours, yeah. right? Yeah. I, I recommend trekking poles, uh, not just one. Um, you need two trekking poles because um, a few years ago um, I, I was walking in Scotland. I had trouble with my knees. Um, usually downhill you, your knees struggle. So anything um, that, that will aid your um your, your your knees um, trekking poles are the good thing to have oh yeah anything to stabilize and take a little bit of the pressure off probably that's makes correct. a lot of sense yes yeah well that's that's good advice andrew thank you very much for your time today and we we certainly appreciate it thank you i very much enjoyed it thanks thanks kurt you bet and for all of our listeners out there as always get out there and have some fun maybe a trek in nepal this time Sounds great. Okay, thank you. Hey, check out Gary Collins' new book, Going Off the Grid, the how-to book of simple living and happiness. Now available in Amazon and Kindle format at primalpowermethod.com. <laughs>